Well, good morning. I would have loved to bring my family, but um, we're actually, I'm actually in the middle of renovating a home, which means they don't have much of a home to live in. So they're pretty much away for most of the summer and the Sundays that they are in Toronto. Um, they're just sort of taking that precious time to be with their church. So um, they would have loved to meet you all. I've got three uh, little ones and a wife. Um, as Terry said, it's, it's just great to be here this morning because I've heard about all of you through Terry and Josh some and James. I guess I met James back in 06 or 07 at the Simeon Trust conferences, one, uh, conference, one of the preaching conferences that he was a part of for a while and then sort of renewed that relationship in a greater way when he came here. Uh, it must be around a year or so, I guess. Um, and quickly learned that he and, and Josh and Terry are guys that um, really love Christ and love all of you. Um, you know this already, but you're really blessed to have these brothers here. Uh, the church that I pastor is uh, 85 years old. Um, it's called West Toronto Baptist Church. There's some members that have been there for all 85 years. We just celebrated someone's 100th birthday. Um, He's over 100 now. <laughs> He's just, uh, the demographics have changed quite a lot in the last four plus years. Uh, one of the first younger couples that came said that when they had come in, um, they kind of looked around and looked up at the pulpit, and I was the only guy um, in their relative age bracket that they saw. Uh, but God's been really good to sort of keep the unity and really have some of our beloved older saints um, still active and vibrant in ministry there. Um, the reason I'm telling you this and talking specifically about the seniors in West Toronto uh, is because when you have people in their, several people in their 80s and some in their 90s, uh, it means that death becomes a real part of your ministry from the beginning. In the first year that I was a pastor at West Toronto, three people died. In the last five years, I think uh, a total of 10 saints have gone home and are with Christ this morning. So while some younger pastors come in and, and their ministry is sort of taken up with premarital counseling and baby dedications, uh, mine's involved quite a lot of funerals as well. And what that's meant for us is really in the last five years, myself especially, has had no choice but to really um, reflect on death and the brevity of life just the fleeting, passing nature of life. And of Christians, of, as Christians, of course, uh, that's not a morbid thing, is it? We believe that our death and the death of everyone in Christ is going to usher us into the presence of Jesus. Um, and at the same time, thinking about our death and the brevity of life is a really weighty subject, isn't it? It's, it's a hopeful one, uh, but a weighty and a real one, and one as Christians that we're encouraged to consider, and that's what I want to do with you this morning. So we're going to go back to a very ancient part of Scripture that talks about death and the brevity of life, and look at Psalm 90. I'm going to ask you all, if you would, um, I know you do this here, stand as I read Psalm 90. If you'd like to follow along in the Bible in the pew, it's on page 496. let's listen to what God's word says. A prayer of Moses, 
the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were formed or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are as but yesterday when it's past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set out our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet the span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger or your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of God. You can have a seat. I'm going to pray briefly for us uh, one more time. Uh, Father, like we have sung together already, uh, Lord, we believe that your word is food for our famished souls, and that uh, we are needy and in great need of your riches. And Father, we are so glad that you are our Heavenly Father and that you've uh, promised to provide for us. Uh, Father, you've told us that uh, you can renew our youth and our strength like an eagle. Uh, Lord, you can use your word to teach and to correct and to train us in righteousness. And Father, as we sung already, Lord, we would pray uh, most of all that you would show us yourself and that you would show us your son and remind us that, uh, Lord, we are so blessed uh, by the mere fact that we are your sons and your daughters this morning. Uh, Lord, so we pray that your word would go out in power. Uh, Father, we ask that you would forgive us freshly this morning. Uh, Lord, give us hearts that are soft and ready to receive your word. And Lord, we pray that you would guard us from uh, allowing it to just quickly fly away. But Father, that you would put it deep within our hearts and even in uh, the days and the weeks ahead. Uh, Father, that you would use your spirit to remind us of it and bring uh, the encouragement and the correction and the grace uh, that we need to live for you through it. Uh, Lord, I pray especially for my brothers and sisters here uh, that have had difficult weeks and that know uh, sadness and heaviness from uh, particularly hard things that are going on in their lives and ask, Father, that you would speak with clarity and encouragement to them. 
Awaken our hearts, Father, if they've been lulled and are apathetic this morning. Uh, Be gracious to us as your people, we pray. We ask this all in Jesus' name this morning together. Amen. I've got really simple aspirations for today's message. I want you to remember the very real existence of your death. Um, That's actually a very hard thing to do. We shelter ourselves from thinking about our own death most of our lives. The fact is that, of course, we are going to die, but most of us don't feel it, and we don't live like it. And when it does come time to sort of face our own death and feel the brevity of life, um, it's a powerful reality that that drives us to want to live more for Christ and that I think in a great way um, takes grace and takes forgiveness of our sins and allows us to see just how amazing and precious um, those realities really are. Psalm 90, as I said, is a, is a very old psalm. It's the only psalm that's ascribed to Moses. You can see in the superscription that smaller part right at the top of the text in Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses the man of God, which means that it was probably written about 3,500 years ago. And it was written during a period in Moses' life when he would have seen a lot of people, a lot of people that he loved, die. He would have been in the wilderness in this point um, after Israel had disobeyed God and as um, a punishment for their sin of not being willing to go into the promised land, as you know, God... Uh, called and had every single person that first generation of Israelites all die in the wilderness and it was only their children that entered into the promised land and Moses would have seen all that death and then wrote Psalm 90 in light of it it's a it's a psalm that's familiar I think uh, somewhat to us it's alluded to in the very familiar passage in 1st Peter 3 8 that says But don't overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is is a day. Uh, We also know it uh, because of the hymn, uh, Isaac Watts' famous hymn. Uh, Isaac Watts wasn't a big fan of music in his day. He was kind of the old school version of uh, a hymn writer that took old hymns and music and set them to new music. Uh, He told his father one day, how little he appreciated the music for Psalm 90. And his dad said, well, why don't you give us something better? And he did in uh, Oh God, Our Help in Ages Past, which is based on Psalm 90. So Psalm 90 is really arranged in three distinct stanzas that we're going to use as an outline this morning. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you to open one up and have a look. The first stanza is in verse 1 and 2. And the second is 3 through 11, and the last is from verse 12 to 17. So the psalm begins in verse 1 and 2 in stanza 1 with someone, someone who stands in stark contrast to our short lives. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were formed, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Whereas the New Living Translation says, Lord, throughout all the generations, you've been our home. 
Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. You're our dwelling place. You're our, our home, our place of safety. Like Psalm 91, 1 and 2 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. So always, God, you've always been our dwelling place, our shelter. You, your protection from trouble, your salvation has never failed us across all generations. Why? Uh, because you were there before the mountains were formed. Before the Andes, before the Rockies, before the Himalayas, you were there. You were bef there before the whole world was formed. The word formed here is, is a really vivid description for a woman in labor pains before birth. And Moses is sort of giving us a very descriptive analogy of a mother giving birth to think about what Moses has already claimed in Genesis 1-1, that in the beginning, God created. He was already there. You think, God, God never became. He'll never pass away. He is, and he was, and he always will be. He's the one who's called here in the psalm in verse 13, Yahweh, as best as we know that means, I am who I am, the eternal God. That's God's own personal name. The name, like Sinclair Ferguson says, that reveals the deepest mysteries of his being and really rocks our minds with the discovery that we can't begin to fathom the mind and the life of an eternal God. C.S. Lewis tried to explain the eternality of God like this. He says, imagine an infinite sheet of paper stretching endlessly in every direction. Then imagine taking a pencil and drawing a line only one inch long. And that line represents the entire universe. The moment the pen touched the paper was the beginning of time, and the moment it was lifted was the end of time. That little line is surrounded in every direction by the vast and infinite eternity of God. It's just a speck, isn't it? But God's so immense, he lives forever, Lewis says. So you think, we, we know some Actually, we know a lot of very important and true things about God, don't we? Uh, we know his inclination and mercy. We know his justice. We know his rock-solid faithfulness. Uh, we know his extravagant love. We know the truth of Jesus and the truth of the gospel. And yet, there are some things about God that we can't even begin to wrap our mind around. Um, he's got no beginning or end. No cause. No origin. He's totally different in one sense than anything and everyone we've ever known. Just for that reason alone. That makes him so imposing. So, so profound and other than. Um, just because he's eternal. And we, on the other hand, return to dust. We begin and we end and the time between the beginning and the end passes quickly. And that, in contrast to God, is the description of us that Moses turns to in the second stanza here of Psalm 90 that begins in verse 3. Where he says, you return man to dust and say, 
Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight, he's speaking of God, are as but yesterday when it passed, or as even a watch in the night, but as of us, humans, you sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning, and the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and the evening it fades away. We're, we're just dust. Particles of oxygen and hydrogen and carbon that just disintegrate back into the soil to nothingness. And even in the case of the people that lived before, um, before the fall, you know, incredibly robust bodies, people that lived right after the fall, like Methuselah, who tops the list with something crazy, right? Like 969 years. You read through your Old Testament, and you're just sort of amazed at this. You know, even compared to God, right, we're told a thousand years passes like yesterday, or even faster, like, like a four-hour watch of the night. For God, the seven or eight, or in some of our cases, the five or six hours we slept last night is, is like the span of a thousand years in his sight. So the defining quality of our lives, we can say, is that they come and they go very quickly. One of the defining marks of your life and my life is that they are going to come and they're going to go very quickly. It's like Moses says here, somebody caught in a flood. You know, a flood comes and sweeps you away and that's it. Like a dream or, or better, like a sleep. It's probably a euphemism for death. The flood comes, you're swept away and it's over. Or like grass. We've all seen grass, right? If you've ever planted sod, you know how this happens so quickly. It looks all green. The merciless rays of the sun come in the morning. It's all green. You walk back out at night, and what happens? It's toast, right? Just completely dead in the span of a couple hours, that same evening. And Moses asks us the question. He raises the question, why? Why should human beings that were meant to live forever have their life pass so quickly, die, and return to dust? And that four that begins verse seven gives the answer. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed, for you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. We're brought to an end because of divine anger against our sin. You know, Moses would have spent those 40 years in the desert, and he would have watched an endless succession of people dying. And behind all that death, he would have seen the dreadful reality of God's anger against sin, wouldn't he? And that's the truth behind all human death. We suffer fleeting lives that come to an abrupt end in death by the hand of God. It's his decree that we turn back to dust, isn't it? We're, we're sinners on the receiving end of God's just punishment for sin, right? Before, before the fall, in the beginning when God made the world and he made human beings and made a paradise for us to live in, there was no death. God reigned and all of creation did exactly what it was supposed to do. Birds chirped and grass grew and fish swam and human beings loved and cherished God completely and it was just absolutely perfect. We can only imagine, right? And people lived, Adam and Eve lived 
just a vibrant, holistic, pleasurable, perfect life. My wife said to me the other day, what do you think it was like for Adam and Eve in their marriage before the fall? I said, I don't know, but it must have been pretty good, you know? And it's just perfect. No death. And then Adam falls and turns away and against God and God brings this awful punishment just like he promised, right? From dust you have come and dust you will return. Sure death. And now we might live 70 years or maybe 80. A few of us live to 90 or 100. And if you take that and you just use the comparison we're given of a thousand years being like a watch in the night, that means for God, our entire life passes in our sort of perspective of a half an hour for God. It's just nothing. Just gone that quickly. And we spend too much of it, don't we, um, in hard work and lots of trouble, and then it's gone and it's swept away by the mighty power of God in death. About four years ago, there was an interview that the Wall Street Journal did with Woody Allen about a movie he did called Tall, Dark Stranger, where he talks about the reality of death in a way that most of us don't ever talk about. The interviewer said to Woody Allen, you know, you've often said that you make movies to take your mind off of the meaninglessness of existence, yet most of your movies dwell on that very issue. Doesn't that defeat the purpose? And he responded saying... You know, it's an obsession with me, and I can't get it out of my films. But the process of filmmaking is so technically demanding that it's a distraction. You don't spend your time thinking about the philosophical content, which is often very depressing. But you do think about the problems that are usually solvable. And if you can't solve them, you just die. Just get a bad film. And which the interview responds to, the interviewer, and says, but, you know, when you're sitting in your, in your office writing your script, you have to confront this stuff, don't you? And Woody Allen says, well, there's technical issues with that too, but I do spend a lot of time in morbid introspection. And this is the part where I want you to hear. So the interviewer responds and says, you know, you've been very firm in your beliefs about this dead-end life. When did you arrive at that realization and make peace with it? And he responds and says, I've never made peace with it. That's my problem. My mother told me that I was a sweet kid until I was about five or six, and then I turned into a nasty child, and I think it was because of the realization of my own death. And I've never come to terms with it. I could just never be thankful. I think we're getting a raw deal, and I can't reconcile it to myself. People say that death is a part of life, and there must be something to it, but I just think it's bad news, and we need to just stop sugarcoating it and then maybe we can find an answer. Uh, most people don't think about their death that way, do they? They just don't think about death. Even Christians, us, who think about death as people who read about it regularly in our scripture and think about how Jesus has saved us from death and punishment, we obviously have a very different outlook on death and life than Woody Allen, I hope, but we still often don't spend a very good appropriate amount of time counting our days and thinking about our own death maybe some of us do as we get older but for most of life we don't think about our death and we don't think about the awesome reality that we are going to die 
And one day we are going to stand before God. You know, it was like just the other day that I was at the hospital with my oldest son. You know, he's born and you're sort of big marker in your life. You're doing the new thing parents do, getting up every 10 minutes, making sure the baby's okay, everything's fine, right? All worried and, and doing what parents do when their little one's first born. And then it's, it's been two years already since my little oldest one has been in school. And actually, the, the very same day, I watched him put on his book bag for the first time and walk off to school. We only live like a, a block away from school, so he just walks. That very same day, later that day, I had a funeral. And later on, after that funeral was over, I got a phone call that somebody else in the church had passed away. It was one of those days where I thought a lot about death and the brevity of life. You know, this big passage of time with my son four years being gone by, a funeral and another death. And I, I sat that day in our church, probably about just this far from the pew, facing, or from the casket, sort of in the front of the pew, facing the other way, just, just staring at this casket and watching this grandmother's um, granddaughter and, and daughter just remember their grandmother and their mother's life with tears streaming down their eyes. And I have these vivid memories of being at the graveside and just seeing, you know, the deep, dark color of the soil as the, as the caskets lowered into the ground. And, and it just reminded me that day in such a deep way that, you know, I, I'm going to die. There's going to be a real date, you know, whatever, July What's today? The 27th, hopefully like 2050 or something like that. And then there's going to be real people at my funeral and real hymns picked out and real things said and flowers and bulletins. You know, I am actually really going to die. And it had a profound effect on me as I thought about that. But you know, it was only a couple days. I have to admit that 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 sort of work of thinking about the brevity of life started to fade and kind of left me. And I think that's probably why this psalm ends the way that it does, where we're told, you know, man returns to dust, life passes in a moment, soon we're gone, so stands a three that starts in verse 12. Teach us, God, teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. Oh, that, that was a Thursday about two years ago in the fall when my son went to school and I had those two encounters with death and I thought about standing before God, right, that day and about all the things in my life that I want to see God grow me in, all those ways that I don't think I'm going to hear exactly well done and how if, you know, tomorrow is my death, I might be that much more intent on changing those things it's not, lot, it's not wise to live without counting your days and thinking about your death. We know if we knew we were going to die tomorrow, that would change us. That would change the way that we view our possessions and the, all the values we place on life and how silly it can be to find security and meaning and so many of the, the, the good but in the light of eternity pretty trivial things that we often do. Our days are going to pass fast. And part of how we get a heart of wisdom, God says, is by counting our days. It's part of how we break sinful patterns and live more for Christ. 
And part of that too is our life passes quickly. We're reminded in this psalm is that, that we find our refuge in the mercy of God. Like we're told here in verse 13, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. <clears throat> Man, that day that death seemed so real for me, it just made me feel how incredible grace and the gospel was. Um, because I knew I was going to stand before God one day, and it was very real, and I was going to do it still with my whole life and everything I know that I've done completely and totally forgiven. So, yes, like Moses says here, we want to gladly rejoice in the good days and the work of God's hands in this life, and yet we read this psalm as people who know now since Jesus has come that we actually have a hope that extends beyond the grave. Uh, that's even better through the work of Christ, um, where we're going to stand before God one day fully forgiven, even after so much sin, right? You try to picture just your short life, and if God took a Polaroid picture, I'm assuming most of you guys know what a Polaroid is still. Um, for you guys that are a little younger, it was this camera that actually took a picture and spit out a photograph the instant you, know, you clicked it, and it was about five times the normal thickness of a normal picture. Um, anyway, imagine if God took a Polaroid of every single sin of your thought, life, your words, your deeds. Fill up this entire room, right? And then some. And you think, you know, we find our refuge in the mercy of God. Every single one of those sins, all of those pictures were completely nailed to the cross and now are completely forgiven. So if you're here trusting in Christ or if you come to that place after your short fleeting life and you die and you finally set your eyes on God and you're going to be standing there, God's going to say, look Justin, look Terry, you've done this and this and this and this wrong and then you're going to look to your right side, and there's going to be Jesus standing in all his glory, right? And he's going to say, you know, Father, I've paid for every one of these. And these have been completely washed away, and I've overcome it all. And God's going to say to us, we can't wait for that day, right? Come, my son, my daughter, into my eternal life. It's yours. You know, of, of our earthly existence... The one thing that ultimately defines our life more than anything else is death. Because apart from Jesus, death always wins. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't say, you know, I hope I don't die. Like, I hope I don't get cancer one day. It just always wins apart from Jesus. A and it comes sooner than we think. And in some cases, it comes a lot sooner than we think. And it's not just the certainty and the speed of death. But it's, it's the ultimate end of death when the natural dying process actually devolves, we could say, into its ultimate end. And we're told that apart from Jesus, we spend an eternity separated from God without any goodness in hell. And apart from Jesus, we can't do anything about it. But we're told there's a cure for that today. If you haven't trusted in Christ, if you put your faith in him, and if that is you, I'm just so glad that you're hearing me today. I remember what it was like to not have hope, to be in that situation, and now to actually know that hope and to know the, 
the, the joy and the, and the grace and security of having that hope of life after death. You know, God delivers you, doesn't he, from the brokenness of sin and the frustrating power um, in Jesus. You can know freedom from sin like we sang about this morning and know eternal hope because Jesus did die in the place of sinners and that he did pay for our sins in his place. I love how Isaiah describes this hope for us. He says about eternal life, the new heavens and the new earth, uh, using the image of a mountain to symbolize eternity. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all the people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meals, and the best of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples and the sheet that covers all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. The hope of a death sentence removed and a rich, you know, beyond belief satisfying life with an end to all sorrows forever and ever and ever. Oh, we know, but we need to be reminded, don't we, that life passes and is going to pass very quickly. We've got lots of sayings in English that capture that, right? We say things like, life's too short to live with regrets, right? Or if, you're, if you have kids, you know, uh, every, everybody that you meet in your younger years, they say to you, what do they say? You know, you better, you better cherish these times when your kids are little because they're going to grow up so fast, right? Just listen to what the Bible says and how it compares our life, what it says about it. And you'll notice the central theme is the brevity. James says in James 4.1 that our life is like a vapor. Think about the vapor of a teapot. It's there one second and then it's just gone, right? Job says that our lives are like a shadow. You stand in your yard in the middle of the, you know, the morning and, and all of a sudden a shadow comes and as fast as the day goes by, the shadow is gone. Our lives are compared to a weaver's shuttle in Job 7. A weaver's shuttle can make a rotation in something like less than a second. Our lives are compared to the foam on the ocean at the beach and you see a wave roll in and the foam sort of come up and just as soon as that wave rolls in, it rolls out and that foam is gone. And aside from the poetic beauty of these passages, of course, one thing stands out. Life is short. And that leaves us with wrestling with that essential question. Am I going to number my days? Am I going to recognize how quickly my life is going to pass? And am I going to try to get a heart of wisdom? Am Am I ready like the psalmist says to fly away at the end because I've trusted in Christ? Am I counting my days so that I make a difference in the lives of other people's days whose whose lives are numbered like mine and yet don't have that hope in Christ? Am I counting the days that I have left to love and serve God? Am I going to use my fleeting life to please the one who has loved me eternally? Life is going to be short, so we want to ask and we want to pray, you know, God, make it meaningful. Use our lives for yourself. Help us to spend our days doing those things that matter. You know life can be filled with busy monotony and endless difficulty, and it can be anything but satisfying, right? And yet God can trans- 
transform that, the short time that we have, and make days and weeks joyful and filled with good. He can work, as we're told here, in and through our lives, and we can see the work of his hands, the wonderful work of his hands, be established so that when we do get to the end of our short life, we can look back and despite all the ups and downs, say, you know, Lord, I saw your hand in all of it, and it really was. It really was good. So life's going to be short. Let's pray that God would give us grace to count and number our days and get a heart of wisdom. Uh, Father, uh, we want to pray uh, one more time before we end our morning uh, for grace, Lord. Uh, to count our days, uh, Lord, help us to be wise. Help us uh, to not just assume that we're going to wake up tomorrow or assume that we've got years and decades in front of us. Lord, we pray that you would give us grace to live for those things that matter. And we ask this in Jesus' name this morning.